Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us about life. You tell us how to be saved and then you tell us how to live as your people. We ask please tonight as we consider your character, your faithfulness, and as we see that we are in turn to be faithful to our responsibilities. Free us please from the love of money, the love of wealth that wants to spend it on ourselves rather than others whom we should. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What should Christians do with money? What should Christians do with money? Uh, Nick was a guy I knew at school. Uh, we, we were a boarding, boarding school together in years 11 and 12. And we used to have chats about religion sometimes. It only ever seemed to happen when there was no one else around. It, it wasn't a cool thing to talk about. But every now and then we'd have a bit of a chat. And one time he says, Dave, my problem with religion is money. My problem with religion is money. He said, what I mean is this. I was travelling through Europe last summer, and as you do when you travel through Europe, we went to see some of the cathedrals, the, the big churches. The, they're very old. You know, you can imagine in Italy or whatever, they've been around for a thousand years. And he said, these, these churches were bastions of wealth. There was gold everywhere, and it, it, it just seemed wrong. Doesn't the church preach about caring for the needy? If, if you want me to believe religion, what needs to happen is they need to sell those churches, give all the money to the poor. Then, then I'll believe you. Then I'll see you putting your money where your mouth is. Now, what are Christians supposed to do with their money? Is that what we should do? Sell everything we have. Right, house on the market, don't buy another one, sell the cars, the entire DVD collection, you only get a dollar each these days, but you sell them all, turn it all into a wad of cash and then give it away. Become a monk, a hermit, live in a commune somewhere, grow your own food. Is that what we're supposed to do? What are Christians supposed to do with money? Other preachers go to the other extreme. And it goes a little bit like this. Uh, money is a blessing from God. So the more money you have, the more blessed you are. And what you really need to do is take that money and spend it on yourself. Enjoy it. It's a blessing from God. Buy the fast car. Buy the nice house in the expensive suburb. Go on the fancy holidays. Do it. It's for you. It's a blessing from God. What should Christians spend their money on? Are we supposed to give it to the church? Now, there might be various reasons for giving it to the church. Some preachers in the past have said, if you give your money to the church, you're going to get more money in return. It becomes the best investment you can do. You give your money, you'll get it with 10% back. Some have preached that. Should we give our money to the church? Because that's how to get to heaven. You can buy your way to heaven. Some have preached that. For every 50 bucks you give to the church, that's one less sin you've got to deal with when you get to heaven. Is that what Christians are to do with our money? Should we? Is, is, is it sort of you buy favour with God if you give money to church? right? You, you're doing it tough right now. You've got to give some cash to God and then God will look favourably upon you and, and it'll all... What are Christians supposed to do with money? Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we're in the middle of a series considering Christian living. That's term three for us is Christian living. And we're talking about money. The last two weeks, we've looked at the broad principles of what the Bible has to say. We've seen that money is good, but money is dangerous. 
Now from this week on, we're going to get a bit more practical. We're going to start talking about the nitty-gritty of Christians and money. Now, of course, whenever we hear practical, if you're anything like me, what you want is numbers. We're going to get practical. All right, David, tell me what percent. Tell me how much money. What am I supposed to give? How am I supposed to kill? How much? How little? When do I? The problem is the Bible isn't really concerned about numbers. That might be a surprise to you. The Bible's not concerned about numbers. The Bible is concerned about character. What sort of a person are you? In fact, the Christian is called to be like God. That's our tagline over the next three weeks. Be like God. For the Christian walk is to put off the old way of being. And this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.24. He says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Be like God. And so we're going to consider three attributes of God, three characteristics, if you like. This week, faithfulness, faithfulness in meeting our responsibilities. Next week, generosity. And then the week after that, wisdom. Faithfulness, generosity and wisdom. Now we saw it in Exodus 34. It's a fantastic passage. Moses says to God, but I don't know who you are. Show me yourself. And God says, well, if I show you my face, you're going to die. Not a good idea. But how about we do this? I'll hide you in a rock. I'll walk past and then you can kind of get a glimpse of my glory as I walk past. The name, the very character of God is revealed and it is one who is steadfast in love and faithfulness. One who keeps his word, who meets his commitments. Now in God's case, of course, they are self-commitments. He takes them on. He declares what he will do and he does it. And Christians are therefore called to be faithful as God is faithful. We are to be people of our word. We are to meet our responsibilities. Now, faithfulness is very broad. In fact, we could do a whole sermon series on faithfulness and we can talk about all sorts of areas of life. But we're talking money. We're talking money. So tonight I want to share with you six areas, six responsibilities that the Bible says Christians have. You've got them in your outline. Uh, If you're the note-taking sort, go for it. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. Uh, We're going to cover a bunch of Bible passages, so worth having your Bible handy. I'll give you time to look stuff up. Write it down. Make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're checking what the preacher says is what God is saying in Scriptures. Six areas of responsibility that Christians are called to be faithful in. Number one, the self. Christian, you are called to care, to provide financially for yourself. Don't be a burden on others. Now let's start with 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, page 1150, if you've got a pew Bible. I told you we're going to go flicking, so get your Bibles out. It's good practice. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now remember this principle, Christian, provide for yourself that you may not be a burden to others. Paul puts it like this, 2 Thessalonians 3 from verse 7. For you yourselves, he says to this church, know how you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle when we were with you. You know what idle is? Sitting around doing nothing. Okay? We weren't idle. 
Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help. Paul could have said, this is our work, is the work of preaching and teaching, as we'll see. You should pay for us. He said, we do have the right. We did this, though, in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. And check this rule out. For even when we were with you, we had this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. How's that one for you? If you don't work, don't, you don't get to eat. And I suspect that you'll get hungry enough to go and start work pretty quick. You get the principle? You provide for yourself. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12, same thing if you want to look that up later. The principle is you work so that you are not a burden on others. Now let's be clear here. There's a difference between this principle and being dependent upon somebody, being in need. There are times when it's appropriate to be dependent. I don't expect Sophia, who is three, to provide for herself. That's called child labour and thankfully has been banned in most parts of the world. Apparently there are some where it hasn't been and we need to keep working on that. I don't expect Eleanor, who is one, to pay the bills. It's, okay. it's right for them to be dependent upon me. Now there are times perhaps even in your life where your parents will be dependent. They are in need and they will be, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Maybe you have short-term or long-term illness or disability. And it's right for you to be dependent upon others. That's okay. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the principle that in general, if you are able to, you should provide for yourself so that you aren't a burden to others. Now, for each one of these points, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the negative as well. What does it look like if we're not faithful in this responsibility? And in this case, we have a word for this. We call it mooching. Mooching of someone else. Bludging. I mean, that's what it means, right? We, we use bludging now to mean just hanging around doing nothing. But bludging, in fact, often means just sucking stuff from other people, bludging off them, stealing, using their money, mooching off them. Inappropriate dependence. Now, it might be inappropriate dependence upon the state. I, I, I know uh, I knew one guy whose brother and sister-in-law uh, double-claimed Centrelink. They'd found this loophole that allowed them to do that. And they were, sweet, we don't have to work because we can just keep bludging off Centrelink. Inappropriate. They had no need to it. They just found this loophole and made them more money than they would working. They figured, why bother working? Inappropriate dependence upon parents. Now, I feel like a little bit uh, this might hit home for a few of us. So we're going to take some time to stop and to think about what this means. Maybe your parents are very generous. And they want to keep looking after you and they like providing for you. And that's a good thing. They are being generous. We'll talk about that next week. But your responsibility is to not be a burden upon them. Don't want to work? That's fine. Don't eat. Now, I hear excuses. I, I, I hear them quite often. Uh, Sydney is an expensive place to live. I can't afford to do it is how the line goes, right? Um, I, I can't afford to. I can't afford to pay rent and to eat the food and the bills and to do... I, 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 really, I just can't afford to do it. And I wonder if what we mean is I can't afford to live the lifestyle that my parents live and so I will stay at home. 
because they'll feed me nice food, they'll buy me nice clothes, they'll pay for the petrol in the car, they'll pay the bills, and I can go and blow all of my money at the movies or whatever it is. And my, my brother, uh, I realise I talk about my children very often, so let's talk about someone else for once. Uh, my brother, Jeremy, he's two years older than I am. Also, I have a sister, Rosanna, who's six years younger. There you go, you learned something about my family. Uh, Jeremy has had chronic fatigue for over a decade. So that severely limits his capacity to work. He, he just he, he wakes up and he can't, he physically can't do it. Now, you would think that someone like that is going to be a burden upon others. I mean, he, he's in very long-term disability and, and illness, as I say, it's been over... In fact, it's coming up on probably 13 years now that he's had this. Now, Jeremy, though, he's taken this to heart. Now, he gets some Centrelink, he gets a disability pension, but he's also worked at his life so that he can afford to live off the money that he gets. He works a couple of days a week when he's able to, and he lives in a one-bedroom granny flat out the back of someone else's house. It's got a bedroom, a little bathroom, and a kitchen. That's his house. And he's worked it out so that he can afford the rent there. He can get himself to church from there. He can pay his bills off the money. that he, he, He's done the numbers so that even if he only got his Centrelink pension, he can live off that. I, I, I can't afford to, David. I can't afford to live. Oh, yeah, yeah, I work 20 hours at Macca's. So I, I, I could work 40 if I really wanted to, but I... Really? You can't afford to or you don't want to? We've gotten used to it, I think. We've gotten comfortable. Mum and Dad's house is nice. Mum and Dad's car is nice. I don't want to have to live in a hovel somewhere. Well, Christian, the first area of responsibility is to care for yourself. Now, I've put the boot in a little bit, right? Fair enough. And I think that we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with our parents. Are we being lazy? Do we have dreams? I wonder if that's also it. I have these dreams, these grand visions. I want this kind of job. I have my career. I, I need to get, I can't just settle for something that's second best. I might as well stay at home until I can. Oh, don't work, don't eat. Remember, this is, a, this is about needs, not wants. And too often I think our wants trump our needs. I want X so I can't afford to live out of home. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Okay, second area of responsibility. We are responsible to provide for our family, the, the immediate people around us, the wife, husband, the kids, our household, whatever that looks like. Now we'll see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. That one's worth looking up. We're going to, the next three are all going to come from 1 Timothy 5, uh, page 1153, just a couple of pages over. Now this chapter is a little bit weird. I don't know if, if you were listening as it was read out. It's all about these widows and some are widows and some aren't. and it's, it's all kind of a strange chapter. But in the middle of it, Paul takes this specific that he's talking about and he converts it into a very broad principle. So our responsibility is to provide for our family, those who are dependent upon us. Paul puts it like this in verse 8. If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, and listen to this. This is serious. If anyone doesn't provide for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is, that's, wow. 
To neglect that responsibility is to be worse than an unbeliever. I take it that it is natural and normal to provide for your family. People don't need to be told that. You've got a family, you've got kids, you provide for them. That's... And if you're not doing it, then you, Christian, who are supposed to be like God, are being worse than an unbeliever. What does the negative look like? Well, the negative looks like ignoring the needs of your dependents. Maybe you don't have the resources. You don't have the money, the wealth to care for people. Maybe you don't have the capacity. You can't think about it. You're caught up in something else. And I want to say if either of those are true, and I think at this stage I'm looking at the back half of the room, although in time it might be the front. If you are caught up in something that means you cannot provide for your family, then get help. If you have a gambling problem, that means that the money comes in and then it's gone such that there is no money left for your family, get help. If you have an alcohol problem or drug addiction, that means that not only is the money gone but the capacity to care is gone, then get help. If you really just don't know how to manage money and month to month you think there should be enough but there never is, get help. We have a responsibility to provide. However, we have a responsibility to provide needs, not wants. Remember that distinction, needs, not wants. So the third Xbox isn't a need. In fact, the first Xbox isn't a need. I mean, PlayStation 4, maybe, Wii, maybe. Xbox, definitely not, right? No, no, no. They're not, they're not needs, they're wants. The luxury holiday. So don't, don't cry. It's the, the Xbox, really. <laughs> Where do you go from there? The luxury holiday isn't a need. The first car for your young adult child isn't a need. Takeaway every night isn't a need. Okay? We have a responsibility to provide for our families, to provide for their needs. Listen to how Timothy puts it. We read this verse last week. We brought nothing into the world, chapter 6 and verse 7. We can take nothing out of it, verse 8. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can you say that? Give me food and give me enough clothes on my back to keep me warm and I'm done. Uh, Edwina and I... Travelled to Argentina in, in uh, 2012. Edwina wanted to see where I grew up and, and we were sort of thinking, can, can we maybe be missionaries, all that kind of stuff. And we went, went and visited some of my old friends, um, some families that, that we'd known and, uh, and we stayed with a few of them. And it was extraordinary when you walk into their houses. You'd open the door, as you normally do. You walk in. You'd walk into a room and what you would see in the room was nothing. One, one piece of furniture, maybe a couch, maybe a chair, maybe two pieces of furniture if you're really lucky, perhaps one picture on a wall and that's it. Bare floor and that's your room. You, you walk into one of our houses and what are you going to see? Stuff. Stuff everywhere. Right, you walk in, 
multiple pieces of furniture. If you're in the lounge room, there's the TV, the DVD collection, the CDs, although now we're replacing that with MP3s, or FLAC if you're really cool and into it, uh, or OG or Vorbis, it doesn't matter, right? You, you, you have the pictures everywhere. In my case, there's toys all over the house. There's mounds of paperwork and books. In fact, we have four bookcases, five bookcases worth of books throughout the house. You walk into the shed, there's tools, there's vehicles, there's bits and pieces of bicycles and there's work tables and there's, you walk back into the bedroom, even in the bedroom, it's not just a bed, but there's a bed, the bedside table, the lamps, there's a clock here, a clock there, there's a, a wardrobe with all the clothes in it, a chair for her clothes, a chair for mine, there's a fan, there's an air conditioning, there's extension cords to run all these things, there's the chargers for our phones at night, there's, you walk into the bathroom and there's Edwina's stuff, <laughs> you keep going and... <laughs> Stuff everywhere. We have a responsibility to provide for our families, but to provide for their needs, not their wants. Number three. Christian, we have a responsibility to provide for the vulnerable and the needy. It begins at home and it extends to the church. We have a responsibility to provide for the vulnerable and the needy. It begins at home and it extends to the church. So again, Paul in this passage speaking about these widows, these women who have lost their financial livelihood. They are financially vulnerable. And yet Paul, again, broadens it out. So verse 3, 1 Timothy 5, Give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. This is pleasing to God. Or over in verse 16, if any woman is a believer, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them, that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, it's about widows, but I think it applies in the broader family. It is those who are financially in need. It might be the parents. Now, I'm told that there's this age of life kind of in the middle that financially is the worst because you have kids who are dependent and you have parents who are dependent upon you. And it is right that that is so. It is our responsibility to care for them. Now, we live in an age of uh, superannuation and investments and it often feels like we spend our whole working life planning for them. So it may in fact be very easy for you to care for your parents because they've got their wealth and they can do it. And, and that's great. If they've, if they've been wise and been able to do that, fantastic. But we are responsible. My brother, if, if he gets really crook and just finds he can't live anymore, are we prepared for him to come and take over the, the study and live with us and provide for him and care for him? Now, of course, it starts at home, but it goes into the church. For those who are truly widows, the church provides for them. And the church isn't an entity. The church isn't a thing on its own. The church is you and me. We are called upon. It is our responsibility to provide for those in our midst who can't provide for themselves. Those who don't have family to care for them. Now, what does the negative look like in this one? Well, I think the negative looks like somebody else's problem. 
I remember uh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Who knows Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah, there was a movie, right? So you guys should know it. The books are way better. Uh, and at one point in the book, yeah, yeah, that's right. Someone's, yes, the books are fantastic. And at one point in the books, right, um, uh, what's his face, uh, Arthur, Arthur Dent, is watching a cricket match at Lord's. Isn't that topical uh, for those who care about cricket? And he's watching this cricket match, and the guy sitting, I don't even know, is it Zafford Beeblebrox? I don't know. Anyway, someone sitting next to me says, ooh, there's a somebody else's problem on the field. And Arthur goes, what are you talking about? What's that? I can't see anything. An SEP field. He says, I can't see anything. Well, that, that's of course you can't see it. It's an SEP field. It's making you think it's someone else's problem. The way to see it is you kind of squint out of the side of your eye. Don't look at it directly and you'll see it. And Arthur does that. And all of a sudden he goes, whoa, there's an alien war happening on the pitch. And I can't see it. And he goes, yeah, of course you can't. Because it's someone else's problem. We have this mentality that I see someone in need, well, someone will look after them. Yeah, yeah, the church is good at looking after them. Someone will, oh, not me, <laughs> not me. Someone, Joe, Joe will look after them, That's right? It's somebody else's problem. Now, I'll tell you, it is desperately sad when that happens in family. And it is horrible when it happens at church. It's somebody else's problem. I watched my neighbour yesterday. Uh, I was just peeking out the wind blinds, looking at my neighbourhood. He loves his leaf blower. He loves it. He should marry it. Seriously, it's like every... Twice in one day I saw him out there blowing the leaves. Anyway, and he's there on Saturday, Saturday morning, and he's clearing the leaves off the driveway. It's a battle axe block, so it's got a long driveway beside his house. And he's clearing the leaves off the, the, the driveway with a little kind of grass strip in the middle of it. And do you know what he was doing? Do you know how he cleared the leaves off? He just blew them into the neighbor's garden. Onto their driveway. <whistles> yep, you're gone. He picked a stick up at one point and threw it onto their driveway. But now it's someone else's problem. Now it's their problem. It's not mine anymore. My patch is clear. Let them deal with it. I saw him pick the stick up and I thought, surely not. Surely. <laughs> Do you see people in need and you think, actually, that's, that's someone else's problem. It's not mine. We have a responsibility to care. And can I say, it's not made any easier if you are too proud, if I am too proud to ask for help. If you need it, please ask. Accept help. Let your brothers and sisters care and provide for you. Okay, number four. Christian, you have a responsibility to provide for the church elders, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. So it's there in 1 Timothy 5 again, verses 17 and 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. And that double honour, that, that, that's a monetary term, right? Ample honorarium, provide well for them. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And why? Well, it's because it's their job. The scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Now, in our church, we have a particular system that we've agreed on. We set two blokes aside, Joe and myself, 
to, we, we agree to provide for them, it is our job to lead as the elders to preach and teach. We could have chosen a different system. That's, you know, that's the one that we have chosen. Now, of course, I'm, I'm aware that I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm talking about myself here, right? You have a responsibility to provide for me. But actually, I have a responsibility as well to provide for Joe. This is something we are in together. This isn't me saying to you, you pay my salary. This is me saying, Christians, we have a responsibility to care and to provide for our leaders. Now, what does the negative look like? Well, I, th I think the negative looks a little bit like this. It, it looks like treating church giving as, as that nice donation. Do you know, if, if you're a driver, I think it's once a year, the Red Cross does their big appeal. And you'll, you'll pull up at some traffic lights and there'll be a person there with a bucket, the white bucket, the Red Cross. Can you give me some money? And what happens? Oh, oh yeah, hang on. Well, you're, kind of, you're sitting in your car, right? So it's, it's the really awkward kind of reaching. You pull out the trays. You, you find some coins. You, th there you go. I feel good now because I gave you some money. And how often do we treat church giving the same? Oh, the plate's coming around. Quick. What have I got? Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll do. That's good. I can go home feeling like I've done my job. We don't treat it like a responsibility. And yet, that is what it is presented as. Now, of course, there's an extreme. Anyone hear about the church in Florida, the, the Southern, Southern Baptist Church in Florida, uh, that sent a, a new lady had just joined, and they sent her a letter saying, you haven't been giving your money. In fact, they sent her a delinquency letter saying, we are going to send the debt collectors because you haven't been giving your tithe. Now, that's an extreme. I mean, that's, that's out here. That is wrong, okay? Don't hear me saying that that is in any way, shape or form right. But I think our problem is the other extreme, where we just, who cares? Rather than, it is my responsibility to do this. Our needs versus wants, well, in one way, we don't really get a say. The diocese has set the amount that a rector is to be paid. The diocese has set the amount that an assistant minister is to be paid. And then it's up to Joe and I, really, to be wise with the money that we have. Now, both of us, I know, both of our families take this responsibility serious. And so both of us contribute to the ministry here. We consider it our responsibility to financially support the church. In fact, basically, I support Joe and Joe supports me is how it ends up working out. I mean, we give it to the church, right? But... It is also our responsibility. Now, there's a lot more to be said about that one. In fact, we're going to have a whole sermon just on church and church giving in three weeks' time when Joe comes back to preach again. Uh, so there'll be, you know, tithing and how much and how and all of those sorts of questions. We'll address them then. But Christian, you have a responsibility to provide for the elders of your church, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. Number five, we're getting there, and I feel very un-Australian saying this one, but it's got to be said. Christian, you have a responsibility to pay your taxes. Romans 13, uh, page 1101, the last two are going to come from Romans 13. Christian, you have a responsibility to support the government financially. Pay your taxes. Paul puts it like this, Romans 13 and verse 4. He, the one in authority, the government, he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, respect. If honour, honour. It is good and it is right to pay our taxes. It's right to honour and to value what the government does with that money. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, well hang on David, I really don't agree with what our government does with tax dollars. I, I, I mean, what, what if, what if, let's play the what if game, what if we're living in a dictatorship and our tax dollars are going to fund a dictator who's, who's inhumane? I mean, what, what do you mean it's my responsibility to pay my taxes under God to, to the authorities? Do you know who the government was in Paul's day? Anyone know, 50, 100 AD-ish? It was the Romans, right? Do you know what the Romans did with tax dollars? They burnt Christians. Submit to the authorities, Paul says. Pay your tax dollars. Do you agree? Do you disagree? That really doesn't matter. The authorities have been placed there by God over you. We have responsibility to pay our taxes. And what does the negative look like? Well, surely it looks like the tax dodge, right? The, I mean, at the extreme, it's the fraudulent tax dodge where you make up deductions to get as much money back as you can. But even, even if we're being legal, and, and I, I get this is how our system works. I get it, right? For those of you who don't know, you pay your tax up front, usually, and then you claim deductions to get your money back that you shouldn't have paid in the first place. So that's kind of how our system works. And so you say, well, but it's, but it's my right to claim my deductions, except the problem is that we then try and squeeze every single last dollar we can. You, you work out your entire financial strategy so that you minimise your tax. Isn't that what we do? And why? I think it's because we like having the dollars in our pocket for me to spend rather than for the government to do good. Now all you've got to do is go and live in a country that has bad roads, no hospitals, horrible education and you'll start to value what our government does, even if you disagree with some of it. Our mentality needs to change. We need to value it, not begrudge the government. Not think that it's my money, it's God's money. And he calls on you to support the government, the authorities over you. Now, of course, we live in a democracy, right? So by all means, use your democratic right to suggest change. If you disagree with something the government is doing, well, do it. But value, value what God has placed over you. Okay, sixth and last. We have a responsibility to fulfil what debts we take on. Verse 8 of Romans 13. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I mean, that's, that's a nice sentiment, right? There's, there's this debt of love that we will never repay. Jesus has loved us so much that we must in turn always love one another. And that is fantastic. But other debts, let no debt remain outstanding. In fact, literally, it's don't owe anyone anything. You go, that carries a slightly different force to it, doesn't it? Don't owe anyone anything. Now, there are two ways that you can not owe anyone anything. The first one is don't borrow. You don't borrow, you don't have debts. 
The second one is if you do borrow, make sure you repay it. Don't be that guy who always says, can I borrow five bucks? And you know you're never going to see it. He doesn't mean can I borrow, he means can I have. Don't be that guy who says to his parents, can I borrow $5,000 to buy my car? And the parents know they're never going to see the money again. If you have a debt, be a man or a woman of your word. It is your responsibility. Now, to be honest, I don't really know exactly how this works with our modern system of secured loans. So, for example, you borrow money to buy a car. Now, if you don't repay your debt, what happens? They come, they take the car away. There's no more debt. Well, if it, I mean, mortgage, classic one. You borrow money to buy a house. Now, this is saying don't owe anyone anything. You're taking an awful lot of debt on because of something that you want to do. Let's be honest. It's not a need. It's a want. I, I don't know. However, what I think we can know for sure, we have an extraordinary capacity to take on debt. We do it like it's no one's business and mostly because we want to finance our wants, not our needs. Be a man, be a woman of your word. If you have a debt, make sure you repay it. Be like God. God is faithful. God is faithful. Christian, we are called to be faithful. You have a responsibility to care for yourself. Don't be a burden on others. You have a responsibility to care for your family, those who are dependent upon you. You have a responsibility to care for the vulnerable and the needy, starting at home in your wider family and extends into the church. You have a responsibility to provide for the elders in your church. In our case, that's Joe and I. We have a responsibility to pay our taxes to our government. And make sure that you keep your word. If you borrow, you repay. So do you notice all of these things have something in common? The responsibility of the Christian is to use their wealth for the good of others. Did you notice that? Even the one that begins with care for yourself, why do you care for yourself? So that you're not a burden on anyone else. Make sure that you provide for those who depend upon you. In the same way that God spent his wealth in his son Jesus for our good, we learn from him. In fact, we become like him and do likewise. And I want you to see that these are musts. These are our responsibilities. We started with this week because these are the first things you put into a budget. Now I hope most of you are going to come uh, to Melinda's budgeting seminar in a few weeks' time. These are the things you put in first. Before you decide anything else, what else am I going to... I like spending money on things. I want to spend money on things. These must be paid for first. And out of whatever else is left, well, we talk about other bits. Christian, be like God. Be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak, the way that you give us the way to live our life. We ask, please, for each one of us that we would know you, that we would be saved by Jesus out of the old way of living and brought into the new life that is to be like you in true righteousness and holiness. As we see and as we know your faithfulness, Father, make us faithful in turn. May we be faithful in our responsibilities. 
caring for those around us. Father, please keep us very far from the love of money that we would want to use the wealth for ourselves, and instead recognise that it is a temporary gift from you to be used for the good of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.